Hi, everybody. Cody here. I'm really excited to share this episode with you since it's so rare that we have a completely new way to treat a mental illness. Dr. Standevin is a women's mood disorder specialist, and we talked about allopregnanolone, which is a hormone that's been linked to depression, especially postpartum depression. I guess that would be interesting on its own, but the great news is that the FDA has approved its use for postpartum depression, giving us a way to get new mothers out of a dangerous and dark state of mind right after birth. We get a little technical, but I tried my best to break it down so it makes sense, even if you don't speak medical jargon. Welcome to the Podcast Against Disease, brought to you by Humanity Against Disease. I am your host for today's episode, Cody Weston, and I'm joined today by the esteemed Dr. Lindsay Standevin, who is now an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Johns Hopkins and an assistant director of the Women's Mood Disorders Center, which you may remember if you're a dedicated listener from our discussion with Dr. Jennifer Payne and with uh, Dr. Lauren Osborne. She is a reproductive psychiatrist by training. Dr. Stanovan, welcome. Thank you very much. Today we're going to talk about a hormone breakdown product called allopregnanolone, which is kind of fun to say. So I guess for starters, Dr. Stanovan, what is allopregnanolone? You started off by saying it well. It is a breakdown product. So what's a breakdown product? Basically, there are hormones in everybody's body, but in a woman's body, there's a hormone called progesterone, and that's sort of our progestation pregnancy hormone. But it's also there for women throughout their reproductive cycle and their life. And that hormone, just like many other things in the body, can get broken down into other products. And one of the products it gets broken down into is called allopregnanolone. So I can start talking a little bit about what allopregnanolone does in the body and the brain. Perfect. So what's really cool is over a woman's cycle, right? So a woman has a menstrual cycle and every single month her progesterone levels go up basically in anticipation of becoming pregnant. And then the progesterone is needed to basically maintain the pregnancy among other hormones. Along with the progesterone, it's product, one of the things that it's broken down into, allopregnanolone, also increases. And when a woman's pregnant, both progesterone and allopregnanolone are high across the pregnancy. Okay. So why does this matter in terms of mental health? Well, what's really cool is that these hormones are not just floating around in a woman's blood in her body, but they actually have effects on the brain. And what we've been learning is that allopregnanolone actually acts in the brain as sort of a break. And it's very helpful for anxiety. So the more allopregnanolone you have around, the less anxiety you feel? Is that right? So when a person becomes stressed, our body does a number of things to try to bring down that stress level. And so a person becomes stressed and all sorts of different hormones are released. And one of the things that is released is allopregnanolone. And what it does is it sort of puts a break on the brain from overfiring and allows the person to be able to reduce some of the stress hormones and some of the stress reaction and become calm again. So our body 
is always sort of trying to maintain a balance and allopregnanolone helps to maintain that balance. It puts a break on the overdrive and it sort of says slow down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by extension then, since it's also associated with progesterone, it sounds like it's something that is waxing and waning in uh, women's bodies throughout uh, the month when she's of childbearing age, it sounds, right? Exactly. What happens when a woman has her reproductive cycle, when she has her menses, is she or her or her period is the sort of the other term for that is um, it increases as the woman prepares for pregnancy and ovulates or when the body's preparing to try to become pregnant. And then if the body doesn't become pregnant, it goes down and it goes down pretty quickly. And for some women, that decrease, that sort of reduction, you think of it like a roller coaster, that going down the side of the roller coaster, actually, for some women, can make it so that they actually experience much more anxiety or much more negative mood right before their period starts. Hmm. And we think that that's related to allopregnanolone. Well, that makes a lot of sense the way you're describing it. So if it's a natural anti-anxiety chemical, maybe that's oversimplifying a little bit, but it's like if you give somebody Xanax for part of the month and then you take it away, a lot of people are going to have a hard time with that. It actually works in the same part of the brain in some ways. Okay. So the alcohol and Xanax all work by putting a big blo- by by working on that sort of the break that we have in the brain and mm-hmm. decreasing anxiety. That's why people will say, oh, I'm going to go come home after a hard day and they'll have a drink. Well, that actually does do something to the brain where it kind of slows things down. The problem is that when some people have a lot of stress, so people who have had chronic stress or people who maybe have a history of depression in their family or maybe their genes work differently, they've actually found that sometimes those individuals have lower levels of allopregnanolone in their bloodstream. So one of the really neat things that we're figuring out is that not only is allopregnanolone important in women in their reproductive cycle, but it's also it plays a part, we think, in depression more generally. If you look in the blood and the fluid around the brain of individuals who have depression, they actually found that the allopregnanolone levels are decreased and some of the other products that are important in, in kind of keeping the allopregnanolone elevated are also lower. So overall, it's sort of like this chemical that's really helpful, this byproduct that's really helpful in kind of keeping the brain nice and balanced is lower in people who have depression. Wild. And you said that it's a detectable difference in the blood, not just in the uh, fluid around the brain. Did I hear that right? It's the, the most of the studies have done the fluid around the brain is okay. really the best way to detect it. Okay, and I mean that makes sense since that's sort of the we kind of think of the CSF of the fluid around the brain as kind of holding all this stuff that's getting kicked out of the brain at higher levels and it's more responsive. But this is exciting because we don't fully understand uh, the molecular underpinnings of depression. I know we've kind of had to backpedal as a field on how we describe what SSRIs are doing because the explanations we were using didn't really bear out. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So when we think about 
SSRIs or serotonin reuptake inhibitors, right? We originally thought of it as, oh, they work because they increase serotonin. Well, now what we're learning is that actually all of these other hormones affect serotonin. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that they found is that allopregnanolone can actually work by increasing serotonin levels and that SSRIs, antidepressants, work. So there's sort of a relationship between allopregnanolone and serotonin levels in the system. So we think that maybe for some women, some of the benefits of SSRIs actually comes from increasing allopregnanolone or allopregnanolone helping to increase serotonin. Well, that sounds promising. And it sounds like this has broad application for depression of all kinds, perhaps anxiety disorders across the spectrum as well. Yeah. I mean, at this point where we really are with it is, you know, is understanding women who have the premenstrual syndromes that I was telling you about. So Mm -hmm. the women who really experience that depression and anxiety right before their period, those are the women that we've found that that there seems to be a role for allopregnanolone, right? Because the levels are dropping right before the woman has their menses. And what we found is that just a tiny dose of an antidepressant helps those women. And we think that the reason it's helpful is because it actually helps to bring up the level of allopregnanolone so that there's not as much fluctuation right before a woman gets their menses, right before a woman gets their period. Okay. That makes sense. And that is something that was puzzling when I first heard about it is this idea that you can give an antidepressant for just a few days because what we're taught otherwise is that you need an antidepressant to be on board for at least a couple of weeks. I usually tell people around a month and here you're giving it for a few days every month and it's working. I mean, that's, that's something that didn't make sense, but now it sounds like there might be a mechanism for it. Right. There's no other real population that's like that in terms of where antidepressants work that quickly. And a part of what we're thinking is different about women with premenstrual dysphoric disorder or PMDD. And it's part of what has been helpful in realizing that hormones play a role in psychiatric illness. It sounds like this is potentially going to blow open our understanding of depression, at least in uh, women. So men, men also have levels of progesterone and they have their own cycle, but we don't, we don't know as much about whether or not allopregnanolone is going to be useful for depression treatment more generally, you know, among men or non-childbearing age women. But, but again, because we now understand that these hormones that are circulating in our bodies actually do affect the brain in a way that affects mental health, right? That drives and impacts mental health. There's actually a lot of promise that maybe that maybe this is actually an area that we should look into for depression more generally. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. One of the reasons I wanted to discuss this with you, of course, is because we have taken a step in the last, I guess, closer to two years now of using a an artificial allopregnanolone in the treatment of postpartum depression specifically. Yeah. So basically, we have the first ever FDA-approved treatment for postpartum depression. And before I start telling you a little bit about it, I just want to take a step back and 
you know, remind us why that's important. 20 to 30% of women have postpartum depression. And it, in other countries, they actually do a, a good job of tracking the effect of maternal suicide. And it's actually the leading cause of indirect maternal deaths. And it accounts for up to 20% of all postpartum deaths. Wow. That is not trivial. It is not trivial. We're focused very much on postpartum hemorrhage or postpartum infection or C-section. But in fact, you know, if you look at international levels, this is actually a leading cause of death. Wow. So we know that it's common, right? It's, you know, somewhere between 15 to 20% of women can get postpartum depression. And then women who have had a pre-existing mood disorder, anybody who's had a pre-existing depression or anxiety, well, 20 to 5 to 50% of them are at risk for postpartum depression. And then women who have been on medications and stopped their medications for pregnancy, well, 70 to 90% of them relapse and have symptoms. Wow. And an even higher percentage of women who are have lower socioeconomic status, African-American women in the United States, women who have a history of trauma or, or are not supportive, have very low support systems, they're at increased risk as well. Hmm. So figuring out why some women are at increased risk for postpartum depression has been something that we have we have been driven to find. Yeah, and it sounds like there are a lot of reasons this is very important, a few that come to mind. Uh, for one thing, it sounds like you have a specific period where increased surveillance would be extremely useful. You know, you can't necessarily watch someone closely of, over their entire lifespan, but here you have a period where you know months in advance that somebody is likely to have high risk if they've got these other uh, predisposing factors. In fact, women are 23 times more likely to be admitted in the first year postpartum than any other time in their lives. Wow. So it is this period of significant risk for women. And I think traditionally, no one has thought of it as a period of significant risk, right? I mean, the old sort of the old idea was that a woman would be glowing in her pregnancy and happy and excited. And then in the postpartum period, she would be all present and invincible. And in the United States, which has no maternity leave, we're now asking women to, you know, breastfeed, pump, return to work, cook, clean. We're just adding on more. We're not removing any of those stressors. And so again, women who have even higher stressors, less support, it's just sort of a consolation of pre-existing conditions that are going to increase the risk. So it's a very dire situation and it's very serious and it impacts the health of our mothers. And then, you know, you're training to be a child psychiatrist and we know that postpartum depression has long-term effects for the infants exposed. Yeah. I mean, I hope to get into that topic more deeply in future episodes, but it's clear even at this early stage of that training for me that any degree of neglect or even subtle parental discomfort with their child at an early age can really mess with how well that child can attach and understand the world. And I'm not trying to place blame here. I'm just saying that there's so much good to be done from identifying and treating these conditions early. Exactly. I think it is worth mentioning too that the effects of a maternal suicide on the 
life. I mean, look, suicide is always tragic, but for a maternal suicide to occur and to lose a parental figure at that formative time, you're talking about doing the usual amount of very significant emotional damage to a family and losing a person, but then also it, it being one of the defining events of a child's early life. And one of the things you just said that's so important is you said, I'm not trying to place blame. And that's, that is really critical. So what the thing that is so important and so exciting about finding the biological causes of these conditions is it helps us to protect our mothers and our reproductive age women who are going through cycles that, you know, and mental health issues that are hormonally related and depression in general. It helps us to fight the stigma that people who are suffering from psychiatric symptoms should be blamed, especially moms, right? The idea for many people that a mother is doing anything besides looking at her child, her baby, her newborn with you know, anything but complete love, adoration, and excitement. For many people, they say, well, what's wrong with that individual? And they do, you know, whether they want to or not, start to place blame. And so what's so exciting about having an FDA treatment for postpartum depression is it says, look, this is biological. This is not something to be blamed. This is not an individual's fault. This is something that is, you know, genetics and biologically driven that a woman didn't do anything wrong to bring on. I'm glad that you highlighted that because, yeah, this is a big problem with stigma in in mental illness. I think we all, on some level, want to believe that everyone is in control of their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors because it's really uncomfortable to think that other things are influencing that. But the proof is here. So back to Bruxanella. Sure. And back to allopregnanolone. So brexanolone, as you said, is the first FDA-approved medication for the treatment of postpartum depression. And what it is is a lab, a synthetically created, which just means they created it in a laboratory, version of the hormone allopregnanolone. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind it is that for some women in pregnancy, When they're pregnant, the progesterone, right, the progestation, the pro-pregnancy hormone goes up, 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 and along with it, allopregnanolone, its sort of byproduct, also goes up, 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 up. And during that time, the brain does sort of adapts to the very high levels of these hormones circulating. And remember, I said that these hormones are are sort of very calming. Many women, women will tell you in the first trimester that they are exhausted. Well, part of that is that these hormones are going up, 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 and the brain has not yet adapted to the fact that they're very high, and so women feel very sleepy. So part of what happens is the brain adapts during pregnancy so that a woman doesn't feel tired um, and basically incapacitated the entire time. Well, what happens when a woman delivers is that those two hormones drop very suddenly. And what we think happens is that for some women, they have trouble with that drop, that change in hormonal levels. So the theory is that the change in hormonal levels, the change in the drop in progesterone and specifically allopregnanolone, may be one of the things that sort of causes women to develop that classic postpartum depression. Okay. And so if we can give it back, 
and that's what we found. That's why this medicine works is that the, the theory is, is if you give it back, it actually helps to, to sort of stop those symptoms from happening because the drop doesn't happen as quickly. Okay. And this makes a lot of sense that this would be an incredibly high risk period because we were talking earlier about how even the changes month to month with the menstrual cycle can affect mood in some people. And you're talking about a much larger magnitude of hormonal change from pregnancy to uh, post-delivery, it sounds like. Exactly. And that's what's so cool. So just like we talked about with women who experienced the trouble before their period, and we said, oh, gee, look, if you give them a little bit of serotonin, if you give them a little bit of an SSRI, it helps increase their allopregnanolone levels. And we think maybe that contributes to some of the symptoms. We don't know, but that's one theory. Well, the same thing is happening here. There's this large drop. And what they found is they is if they give back the allopregnanolone through brexanolone, over the course of 72 hours, women experience a huge, significant improvement in their depression symptoms. So the way that this medicine works is it's actually given through an IV. It goes into the blood, and the woman gets the drug for 72 hours. It's an infusion. And what they found is that the symptoms of both depression and anxiety by 24 to 72 hours are at least 50% reduced. That's incredible. And for those of you at home unfamiliar with treatments for depression, almost nothing works that quickly. There's some evidence that S-ketamine might work that quickly, and ECT has been known to have some pretty quick turnaround. But most of our treatments for depression do take weeks to months, as I alluded to earlier. So this is huge, in my opinion. Yeah. So there are women who are coming in, you know, we give them when there are ways of measuring symptoms of depression. And so there, these were women who would come in with very high scores of depression. So it was like, you know, they would come in with an average of like a 40, which is very high on this certain scale called a madras. Okay. And by 24 hours after they started their infusion, the average was 10. Wow. And then it stayed there. And what's so cool is they did a number of other studies and the levels, so they stop the infusion, they end the infusion between 60 and 72 hours, and then the levels of depression remained low seven and 30 days afterwards. Wow. So that one critical period, if you intervene for three days, I guess, it can really prevent the... Uh, development of, the, of postpartum depression, it sounds like, or at least severely limit its uh, course. Well, these are women who are already ill. Okay. So they're coming in and they already have the postpartum depression. So it's a treatment. Okay, fair. That's a great point, though. We don't know about it as a prevention. That's a whole other question, mm-hmm. right? If we know that there's a woman who maybe is at very high risk of postpartum depression, it would be fascinating to see whether or not this medicine could be used as a prevention. We're not there yet. We know it's a good treatment. We know that it is that it significantly reduces symptoms within a short period of time and that the symptoms remain low 7 to 30 days out. We don't know anything about it beyond those 30 days. So there's still work to be done. Yeah, but I mean, buying somebody 30 days, I mean, that gives you time 
to have a more conventional agent back on board. Although, as we've discussed in other episodes, there are a lot of conditions where, a lot of situations where staying on treatment throughout pregnancy is probably the less risky of two not entirely risk-free choices. Absolutely. And you're right. There's nothing else that we know of that removes symptoms of something that can be as severe as a bad episode of postpartum depression in three days. Yeah. And that's tremendous. I mean, granted, it does require someone to come into the hospital uh, for the infusion. So you brought up you brought up a great point. This is not this is not where we want to end up, right? So for most women, the key is preventing postpartum depression. For most women, we want to have a careful discussion about what medicines have worked for them and what medicines might be safe for them to stay on in pregnancy in order to prevent postpartum depression. Brexanolone is a treatment for when women when that ship has sailed, essentially, and the woman is coming in and she is experiencing, you know, moderate to severe postpartum depression and is really not able to be to be functioning or enjoying her postpartum period or certainly if she was at risk in any way. And it's, it is a very big deal because a woman does need to go into the hospital and have an IV infusion. That said, you're giving her back, you know, a month or two or three of her time of her time with her infant where she otherwise might be at home not getting treatment suffering and and in all likelihood blaming herself for the symptoms you're talking about huge psychological effects on her and this is a really critical time where looking back i suspect that she would like to be having a more positive experience with her zero month old Um, absolutely Every mom deserves to be able to to enjoy the postpartum period to the most that they can. You know, it's it's not an easy time for anyone, but I think a lot of women really spend the time blaming themselves and feeling not good enough and suffering with the symptoms of depression when they just don't have to be. Yeah, and that brings me back the narrative about motherhood that's sort of prevalent in the culture. It sounds like we, as people who care about mental health ought to be pushing back hard against that narrative and raising some awareness that it's definitely not always the case that everything is just fine and dandy and giving birth and having a young young infant is all fun and games and good and that, yeah because i mean there's baby blues even in people who don't get postpartum depression, which I suspect is still something that people might guilt themselves over if they're not aware of how common these things are. 80% of women have postpartum blues. Postpartum blues is a normal. It is related to the decrease in hormones. It's that five to six days after a woman delivers where they feel overwhelmed or sad or tearful. But they're not, it's not postpartum depression where they're blaming themselves or feeling that they're a bad mother or, God forbid, thinking that they, you know, want to take their life. Mm-hmm. Postpartum blues is the normal fluctuation that a woman experiences, 80% of women, and it goes away within days, okay. right? Postpartum depression lasts for weeks to months to, I've seen women come in and they never recovered years later from postpartum depression. Yeah, and it sounds like 
it's just a perfect storm of factors and it, it sounds really tragic that it's at a critical period where I imagine whatever support is available is also spread thinner due to the presence of a new completely helpless creature in the uh, mix. Absolutely. And that, you know, the, it, postpartum depression, we talked about the long-term effects. A mother who's depressed is not going to be looking at baby, making cooey faces, and all of that sort of changes in facial expressions and attention is really important for long-term brain development of the baby. Yeah. So it's not, it's by no means a simple task to make a decision to go into a hospital and have an infusion. But when it comes to three days of this drug that could return months, you know, weeks, months, years of a woman's enjoyment of a critical period, not only for the baby, but for her as a, as a mother to experience the transition of early motherhood in many ways, it's a cost that we, that we're now very happy that we now have available to women, that this is even an option is a, is a huge deal. Yeah. And I'd also like to throw out there that if someone is already depressed and trying to make a choice about whether this is the right thing to do, it sounds as if there's a preponderance of evidence that this is not only likely to be a good thing for the person having the depression, the, the new mother, but for uh, her child. Absolutely. Many, many mothers are going to have a very hard time with the idea of going into a hospital for an infusion when they're already part of the depression is they're already feeling like a quote bad mom. Yeah. And so the idea of leaving the family with the responsibility of the child feels even worse. Luckily there are actually programs that have the newborns present or at least able to visit mm -hmm. while mom goes into the hospital. There are more and more programs in the United States that are doing that. They're called mother baby units. Uh, the United States lags behind other countries who are very used to having mother-baby units for the treatment of other postpartum psychiatric illnesses like postpartum psychosis. But we are increasingly, uh, we hope, catching up to uh, other nations that have recognized the importance that getting mom into the hospital often means bringing baby with her and, and treating both of them you know, treating mom and making sure that mom is then able to bond with baby and has really returned to herself before she goes home. It's really about dyadic treatment and seeing that mom is recovered. And part of that is seeing how she interacts with baby. I mean, we talk a lot in psychiatry about all the different sources of information. I mean, since we can't just check a blood panel to see if somebody's um, brain is doing what it's supposed to or whether it's under the influence of a mental illness this is something absolutely critical i mean if you're talking about activities of daily living for a new mother so many of those activities are going to be around uh, taking care of this infant so the idea of not having the infant around seems like it would be a huge barrier to interpreting how the treatment is going whether other interventions are needed and and also causing a lot of stress because as you say there's i'm sure the last thing any new mother wants is to be apart from um, her infant 
Exactly. And and for some moms, you, we have to remember that postpartum depression can also include significant anxiety. So moms might be having a lot of worry about, am I doing the right thing? Am I taking care of the baby correctly? Am I changing the diaper? Am you know checking on the baby repeatedly? And so actually seeing the interaction and that that interaction is going well is a critical part to assessing that the bonding is where it should be and that mom is recovered. So what do you think is the the first big take-home point? The recognition that we now understand that certain hormones actually drive psychiatric illness, and specifically the change in hormones that occur in women, that there are some vulnerable women, that 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 those changes in hormones cause psychiatric symptoms for some women, depression and anxiety. Yeah, and that's a huge shift. I mean, that's not something that was in the discussion at all when I was in, you know, undergrad all the way up through residency, really. Right. Key point number two, in your opinion. Well, I think a focus on allopregnanolone, right? So we went from, you know, fluctuations in hormones seem to drive psychiatric illness to check this one out. Allopregnanolone is this... It's supposed to be sort of a break on the brain. It's supposed to help with anxiety. And we now understand, and depression, and we now understand that some women are particularly vulnerable to the fluctuations in allopregnanolone. And we think that that is maybe one of the key factors in postpartum depression and have a treatment, you know, that we can add back brexanolone and help to recover the symptoms in women who have severe postpartum depression. I love it. And as you pointed out uh, a few times, it's incredible that this is now the first FDA-approved treatment for postpartum depression specifically. And that sort of brings us to, to the next point, yeah. which is the, the fact that we now have an understanding of the biological drive and then a medicine to treat the illness reminds us that these psychiatric illnesses, postpartum depression, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, depression in general, that these are biologically driven. And especially for women who are suffering from depression either occurring in pregnancy or the postpartum period, that it's a reminder that this is biological and it's not their fault. And I think most people can accept that they need to take medicine for their diabetes or their blood pressure, but most people with psychiatric illness still face stigma that that their that their illnesses are somehow their fault. And especially a mom who is not feeling the drives that everybody's telling her she should feel in the postpartum period. There's no greater shame that a woman feels when she is unable to to feel the way that she is being told she should feel in the postpartum period. Yeah. And we know that that's biological, that it's not her fault. Yeah, and it, it sounds like when a woman recognizes this, she's absolutely right that something is wrong. Um, but of course, the obvious interpretation that they are just not wanting it bad enough, or something, uh, or that, that they're they a bad mom. Yeah, yeah. They, right. They say, "Oh, well, I must be a bad mom," or "There's something wrong with me," or "There's something wrong in my life." 
or there's something. They, they look for explanations, and the explanation is biological. And yeah. we now the fact that we now have a medicine to treat it tells it counters the stigma and it reminds us that it is biological and a woman does not need to spend the time blaming herself. I also want to just remind, you know, women in general that Brexanolone is a treatment, as you mentioned, it's a treatment for postpartum depression. But there are things we can do to prevent postpartum depression. And the biggest thing is by making sure that women are being treated while they're pregnant. You know, women who need treatment during pregnancy can get treatment. They do not have to just stop their medications. It's a very, it's a discussion that they need to have with an expert where they can actually have a discussion about what are the risks of remaining on the medicine versus the risks of stopping the medicine. Because the biggest thing that we want is for women to know and to understand that they have a biological risk and to then make decisions that are informed with a doctor about what medicines they should remain on because what we really want is to prevent it. Yeah. But it is the first time in psychiatry that now we have a treatment for the women, you know, whether they were treated or not, if they arrive at a postpartum depression, we now have a medicine for it. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up, and that's something that we do dive a little deeper into in the previous women's mood disorders interviews, and um, I'll try to make sure that those are all well advertised around the time this comes out so that people can get the whole experience. But it's one of the big takeaways from those, those discussions, in my opinion, was that Depression or any mental illness really is an exposure in and of itself. Depression is not some vague psycho-spiritual thing that doesn't, or that's all in the, the head. I mean, it's in the body. It's affecting blood levels of stress hormones. The developing uh, fetus, soon to be infant, is feeling that whether it knows what to make of it or not. And it's not automatically the best decision to just cut your medicines. That's right. And allopregnanolone and bruxanolone are proof of that, right? Mm. Right. We now know that when you're experiencing depression and pregnancy or the postpartum, that the break is off, right? The thing that is supposed to be there and balancing things out is off. And these medicines help to rebalance that and recalibrate in the same way that if somebody was low on a vitamin or low on a protein, you would say, we need to help you add that back because you're genetically, your body's not making right the right amount of it, or they're making too much of something else and it's not having a good effect. All right. Dr. Standevin, I am really glad that you came on and, and that we had this discussion. I think that I certainly learned uh, quite a bit, and I hope that our listeners will find this helpful, and hopefully some people will be able to benefit, and some women will avoid the lengthy consequences of a, a prolonged postpartum depression by getting this intervention sooner. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed hearing about allopregnanolone and the link between hormones and mood disorders. We'd love to hear your thoughts on our Humanity Against Disease Facebook page, our Twitter or Instagram at Against Disease, or by emailing us at againstdisease at gmail.com. Have a great week, and I hope you'll join us again soon.